is to focus today on the fact that God offers hope to the hopeless. It's easy for the stuff of life to get us down and defeated, leaving us with this sense of hopelessness. Maybe you or someone you know is feeling that hopelessness today. I got great news for you. It's from the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that God offers hope to the hopeless. There are a lot of things in life that you can replace, lots of things, right? However, hope is not one of them. When you lose your hope, there's a darkness, there's a void, there's an emptiness that enters into your heart. And that's filled with anger and bitterness and depression and despair. And without hope in your life, you have that what seems dark and void, don't you? The good news is that God, when you fill your hope in God, fill your life in hope with God, he removes that. In the story of Genesis, the story of creation, it's the time before the beginning of the earth. And it describes the earth as being empty and void and dark, doesn't it? Then God spoke his creative word, and out of that emptiness and darkness, there's created things of beauty and good. At the end of the story of creation, it says that God made you, and he made you in his own image. The same power that God used to create beauty out of emptiness and darkness and void, same power that he's using in you at work in you. For God is the one who offers hope to your hopelessness. He can take the dark, empty places of your life, and he can bring about beauty and good. He shines hope's light into the darkest hour that you'll ever go through. He looks at your present-day circumstances, and at times it seems kind of empty to you, and it seems kind of void of meaning. And God shapes your present-day circumstances with a purpose of hope. He promises us by hope that if we will put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that one day when this very short, short, short life is over, that we get to spend eternity with our Father in heaven. And that eternity in heaven, our hope in that is far greater than we could ever think or imagine. So I want to encourage you today to start believing and hoping in God again, to keep an attitude of faith and expectancy to believe that God is there to help you. How many are familiar with the story of Aladdin and his lamp? Very familiar story, isn't it? That myth, Aladdin finds this lamp and rubs it and out comes this genie who gives him three wishes. If I had three wishes, my last wish would be to have unlimited wishes. <laughs> I think that breaks the rule of the story, I'm not sure. But one time, a 50-year-old husband and a 50-year-old wife found Aladdin's lamp. They rubbed on the side of it, and out came the genie. And the genie was in a very bad mood, said, I'm only granting one wish for each of you today, not three. So you better make it good. Just each of you get one wish. Husband thought about it, and he said, we've always wanted to travel around the world, but can't afford it. So our wish is that we get to travel around the world, all expenses paid, and get to see all the great sights. Genie snapped his finger, and instantly, the 50-year-old husband had that travel around the world, all expenses paid, all set up and ready to go. The genie then looked at the 50-year-old wife and said, what do you want? And without hesitation, she says, I want to be married to a husband who is 20 years younger than me. 
Instantly, the genie snapped his fingers, and the wife was now 70 years old. (laughs) Wishes can be tricky. Of course, in this, do I have to explain it to you? (laughs) Of course, this is the Christmas season, and we all have our Christmas list, don't we? That wish list that's there. And we know we got to mail it to the North Pole because that mythical red suit, jolly old guy, is going to check that list. He's going to check it twice. Going to find out whether you're what? Naughty or nice, right? How many of you have ever put something on your Christmas wish list and you didn't get it? Do you remember the disappointment? There's a TV ad this year that shows a guy who's always, since his teenage years, every Christmas morning has wished for a brand new car to be in his driveway with a big old red bow on it. And every year from teenage, he goes out and the driveway's always empty and he's always disappointed. Year after year, he goes out, there's no brand new shiny car with the red bow until finally this Christmas. Beautiful day, sun shining. He walks by the window. He looks out and sees the brand new car with the big red bow on it. Isn't it interesting, if we're not careful, how easy it would be to turn our prayer list into some sort of magical, mythical wish list that God, like some sort of genie or some old guy in a red suit, would grant our every wish? There is a difference between a wish and a hope, isn't there? A big difference between a wish and a hope. A wish is a passive, magical desire. For something that has no basis in reality, I hope tomorrow morning when I look at my bank account, I mean, I wish when I look at my bank account in the morning, (laughs) that there will be a million dollars there. There's no basis for that other than the fact some sort of magically way that a million dollars is going to appear in my bank account. Wishing is a magical wish list. It's not based in reality. Hope, though, is a proactive desire for something that has real expectations. Hope is a powerful motivator. Hope is a great influence that moves us in certain directions and to do certain things. Hope has the power to strengthen you and to renew you. Of course, real hope must be based upon truth, right? It must be based upon truth. And the Bible tells us to put our hope in God. And the reason why we can put our hope in God is because the promises of God are always true and reliable. He never, ever breaks a promise. He always keeps his word. Every promise God makes comes true. So it's right for you to put your hope in God with the expectations that what he promises you in his word is going to happen. Oh, I think about Abraham. Based on faith and hope, Abraham left his home country and traveled for some 600 miles to a new land, a foreign land to him, to fulfill the purpose of God creating a new nation. The book of Genesis gives us a glimpse into that 25-year journey, and that journey had its ups and downs, it had its highs and lows, it had its faith and its mistakes. But Paul said in Romans chapter 4, verse 18, when the going got tough, when it seemed like it was hopeless, in those times of hopelessness, you know what Abraham did? Abraham, against hope, in hope did what? Believed. Against all hope, Abraham believed in hope. And then in Romans 4, 20 through 21, it said that Abraham never doubted God. He always believed God. He believed that God would do what he promised. And he was certain 
that God would do what he promised. That's what kept him going. He hoped against hope. He believed in hope. How does that relate to you? Well, in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he writes, the yes to all of God's promises is in Christ. And that's why we say amen through Christ to the glory of God. His promise to you is that he will bring hope to your hopelessness. And he does that through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 6, it says, our hope is to be anchor, is the anchor of our soul. Our hope in Jesus Christ is the anchor to our soul. I want you to think about that for a moment, the importance of an anchor to a boat. An anchor to the boat keeps the boat in the right position, doesn't it? When the currents and the winds keeps it from drifting. The anchor of a boat is one that keeps it in a fixed position. When you put your hope in Jesus Christ, when you anchor your soul to Jesus Christ, he protects you, he keeps you in the right position, and he's there all throughout your life to help you during those times. He's to be the anchor of your life, the anchor of your soul. Let me ask you a question. What is your anchor? What is the anchor of your life? You know, in order for an anchor to help a boat, it must be the right anchor. Not any old anchor will do. It has to be the right anchor. What is your anchor? There are some anchors that are not right for you. There are some anchors that will not help you. There are some anchors that will drag you, pull you down, and bring you under. They will not save you. What are you anchored to? Are you anchored to worry? Have you anchored yourself to depression, to doubt, to discouragement? Have you anchored yourself to fear? Have you anchored yourself to drugs or lust or anchored yourself to people who are dragging you down? What, what is that anchor that's a burden to you and not one that is protecting to you? What are you anchored to if it's not the Lord Jesus Christ? I want to encourage you today to pull up those anchors that are not helping you and get the right anchor. You have the wrong anchor if they're not helping you. And the right answer is whom? The Lord Jesus Christ. The proverb writer declares, when you honor the Lord truly, you have hope for the future. When you honor the Lord, you truly have hope for the future. I want you to think about the future for just a moment. When you think about the future, what does it look like to you? When you think about the future, do you see something that's bright and hopeful? Or do you see a future that seems kind of dark and bleak and hopeless? You see, God wants to make sure that we'll be full of hope. So don't let the stuff of this life rob you of your hope. Pull up the anchors that are not working. Get the right anchor. And the right anchor is putting your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you honor the Lord that way, you truly have a bright future. You will think, you will speak, you will act with the expectation that your hope is in God. So quit letting this life drag you down. Quit saying to yourself, that will never happen to me. God will never change my life. Quit saying those things. Start looking for what God is doing and is going to do. Against all hope, believe in hope that Jesus Christ is the anchor of your soul and in him you can rejoice. Amen? Because through him, all the promises of God are what? They are a yes. Now, God's hope for the hopeless. Now, here's a very important point includes those who think that they've committed way too many sins to ever hope for another chance. If you know someone like that, 
or you're like that, would you please write down the following verse from Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Please write this verse down. Get it to the person who's lost hope. I've done way too many bad things to ever let God, for God to ever save me. Romans 5.20, where sin increases, what does grace do? It multiplies even more. Hope is for the hopeless. God's grace is always greater than your sin. In God's math, sin is subtraction. Grace is multiplication. Where sin increases in your life, God's grace is greater than your sin. It multiplies, and there's hope and multiple grace for the hopeless sinner. I want to share a story with you from the Old Testament of how a hopeless sinner received hope from God. Once you hear this story and take it to heart, you for the rest of your life will always believe that there's hope for the hopeless. The person I'm referring to is King Manasseh. King Manasseh, his story is recorded in 2 Chronicles 33 and and 2 Kings 21. When you take those two accounts together, the picture painted of King Manasseh is an evil person who seems to be beyond redemption. Here's a list of some of the things that King Manasseh did during the first 24 years of his 55-year reign. He was so evil that God declared the evil he did was worse than all the evil that the pagan nations around them were involved in. King Manasseh, even though he was brought up in a godly upbringing, he built worship centers and idols to pagan gods. And next what he did was he took a stone image idol and an altar and put it in the temple of the one Lord God Almighty. To those false gods, Manasseh sacrificed in fire some of his own children to appease those false gods. And of course, his example and his leadership influenced the children of Israel And they begin to do the very same thing. Manasseh practiced witchcraft, sought guidance from omens, and consulted mediums. And besides all this, besides all this evil, he slaughtered innocent people. And the blood was so much, it said, in a picture, you could fill the whole city of Jerusalem to the top of its walls with the innocent blood that he had shed. God then sent prophets to Manasseh and the people, but they ignored and refused to listen to the Lord's word on the matter. This vile, rebellious, evil King Manasseh was truly facing the judgment of God, wasn't he? And in 2 2 Chronicles 33, verse 7, because of King Manasseh's refusal to listen to God, it says that the anger of the Lord was aroused by the evil that that Manasseh had done. And so the situation seems hopeless, doesn't it? God is about to react. The Bible's very clear that if you refuse to repent, you will do what? You will perish in your sins. And so here Manasseh has refused to repent, and the nation has refused to repent, and the situation looks like it's beyond redemption. And then you get to verse 10 through 11, and here comes the judgment. Manasseh refuses to repent, so God brought the judgment. He allowed the Assyrian army to attack Jerusalem and capture King Manasseh. King Manasseh, in front of his whole kingdom, was put in bronze shackles. They took a hook and put it through his nose and led him out of Jerusalem in humiliation, some 600 miles to Babylon, where according to Jewish history, he stayed there for two years in captivity. Two years in captivity. 
That seems like a fitting end to an evil person, doesn't it? He got his just rewards. God brought his judgment. The, the situation appears hopeless. Here this once proud Manasseh, defying God, involved in all sorts of evil, who led his people into evil, now finds himself in despair with a hook in his nose and in chains being led away. I think that's a very vivid reminder that sin never ends well. Amen? Sin never ends well. It always takes you to places you never want to go. And the wish of sin is always pleasing, alluring. It's appealing. But in the end, it captures you and parades you with a hook in your nose spiritually in front of everyone else in humiliation. How hopeless Manasseh must have felt going from the palace to the prison, from exaltation to humiliation. But Manasseh did something right for the first time in his life in that despair. In that crisis, in that despair. You know what he did? Here's what it says. It says that Manasseh went to the Lord in prayer and asked God to forgive him and to help him. Manasseh found out that his anchor to those false gods did not work. They had drug him down and he felt hopeless. But now in his distress, he pulls up the anchor to those false gods and he puts his anchor of his soul into God. And he asks God to help him, to forgive him. You know how easy it would have been for Manasseh to have given up? You know what? I deserve this. I've been here for two years. Everyone's forgotten about me. No one cares about me anymore. There's no way out of this. I, I'm, I guess I'm destined to spend the rest of my life under condemnation. Maybe you can relate. Oh, when that sin hooks you in the nose and drags you all over the place and humiliates you and condemns you, it appears hopeless, doesn't it? And you think, you know, there's no way out. God would never take me back. I've done too much. I've hurt too many. I've wasted too much time. I've destroyed too many opportunities. I've been a disappointing to myself and to others around me. It's just hopeless. There's nothing that I can do. Ever been there? Ever been there? You know, the Bible says that one of the characteristics of the devil is that he's the accuser. The devil is a great accuser, isn't he? I mean, the devil stood up before God and accused Job. And then the devil, it says in Revelation 12, the accuser accuses the brethren of the Lord, Jesus Christ. He's the accuser. He accuses you in the mind and heart for the purpose of you giving up hope. Is he, is he accusing you today? Is he keeping you from the fact that right now you can make the right decision? You know what? My hope's in God. I'm going to ask him to forgive me and help me. Is he keeping you from that? He's really good at accusing you through the using other people, isn't he? Using other people through their words, their attitudes, and actions. What you have done may end up where people will give up on you, where they write you off and will have nothing to do with you anymore. And that's a helpless and a hopeless feeling, isn't it? The devil may Use others to accuse you, to cause you to feel hopeless. But God offers hope to the hopeless. He will not give up on you. I love the story in Acts chapter 9. This is where Saul has been converted. Saul has been converted, and now he's so excited. He wants to get with the other brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. He wants to get with them and just worship with them and be in fellowship with them and share his story. Acts chapter 9, verse 26, when he gets there and he wants to meet with them, 
the disciples were afraid of him. And they wanted nothing to do with him because they really didn't believe he had changed. They really didn't believe that he was a Christian, that he was out to get them. And if it wasn't for the encourager Barnabas who stood up and said, no, he's for real. Oh, the devil and his accusations would have won the day, wouldn't they? Here's Paul, his first encounter would have been with people who were turning his back, their back on him when he needed them the most. And they're still with accusations and judgmentalism. But Barnabas was there and he stopped, he stopped the devil from doing his work. In the story of the prodigal son, you remember that story? I'm so glad that the returning, repentant, prodigal son who's looking for hope for hopelessness is met first by his father and not his older brother, aren't you? If the older brother had been the first to meet the repentant prodigal, the first encounter that this returning prodigal would have had would have been with his older brother who was filled with accusations and judgments against him. The story might have had a different ending. But thankfully, this prodigal is met by the father who runs to him and hugs him and gives him the mercy and the grace and the love and the hope that he so desperately needed, just like you. Amen? That's why God offers you when you're willing, that's why God offers you when you're willing to repent and turn back to him. Don't listen to anyone else's accusations. Don't be drugged down by others' judgmental attitude towards you. You've made the decision to turn back to God. You've done the right thing. You've asked him for forgiveness and help, and let that be an encouragement to you. This is what Manasseh did, didn't he, in 2 Chronicles. Here he is in pain, he's in distress, and he asked the Lord God to forgive him and to help him. Did you know that people in despair and crisis are oftentimes the ones that you can reach for Jesus Christ? When people hit rock bottom, when people are in despair and crisis, they're looking for something else, aren't they? And you can point them to the hope that's offered by God to the hopeless. So if you know someone today, or you're that person today who's in distress, who feels hooked in the nose because of your sin, be like Manasseh and do the right thing. Turn to God, ask him to forgive you, and seek his help, and you'll find it. I like this statement on the next slide here. I love this statement. No night is too too dark. No battle is too hard. No situation is too hopeless. No chains are too strong. With Jesus by your side. With Jesus by your side. Do you believe that? What a beautiful statement. I hope that statement will encourage you today. So remember what Paul said about Abraham in Romans. It was against hope that he continued to believe in hope. You need to do the same thing. Don't doubt what God promises you. Let your faith grow stronger. Never stop believing. Turn to God and ask him to forgive you and to help you. That's what Manasseh did. And here's the surprise twist to this story. A surprise twist in verse 12 through 13. It said that God heard Manasseh's prayer. That God knew the heart of Manasseh. And God poured out his love and his forgiveness and his mercy and grace and gave hope to that hopeless king. Isn't that beautiful? What a beautiful story. He forgave him and brought him out of prison, brought him all the way back some 600 miles back to Jerusalem, and even put him back on the throne that he had lost. Restored him, renewed him, gave him hope. Please listen to me. Please listen to this next statement. 
If God could do that for such an evil, vile, rebellious, murdering, blasphemous, hopeless king who repented, he'll do the same thing for you. He'll do the same thing for you. You are not beyond saving no matter what you think or what others may continue to think about you. If you turn and repent, God offers hope for your hopelessness. Repentance simply means to turn around and go in a different direction, doesn't it? Manasseh had all his first part of his reign going in the wrong direction, leading people astray. Manasseh now receives his grace, his forgiveness, and mercy from God. He's restored. He has his hope, and he lives out this new hope and repents. You know what he did spending the rest of his reign doing? Trying to correct all the things that he had done evil in his past reign. He tore down the idols, tore down the altars, went into the temple, cleansed the temple. He tried to convince the people around him, look, I was wrong. You need to worship the Lord God Almighty. He did everything within his power to convince them. And he, his hope in God propelled him to change, to repent, and live out that hope in God. What a life that was turned around. And God will do the same thing for you. Now, there are consequences to every decision, right? Not all consequences are taken away. I love that song earlier today. When he doesn't, you still hope. So even if God does not remove the consequences, you still keep your hope in him. Manasseh hoped that as his life changed, he could turn the nation around and the people would then respond and they would believe in the one true God. Some did, but most did not. In fact, his own son refused to repent. His own son, who will eventually take uh, the rulership after him, remains evil and continues to do evil. But that did not discourage Manasseh. That did not dissuade him from doing the right thing. He did everything he could to make things right. He put his hope in God, his faith in God. He repented and started walking in the right direction. And so can you. God offers hope to the hopeless. Amen? He offers that to you today. So I pray today that this message has encouraged you. That this message will renew your decision to keep your anchor of your soul in the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you do that. I believe if you take the scriptures from this message today and you'll study them and apply them, you will have your heart filled with hope, the hope that God gives to each and every one of us. If you know of someone, you say, I wish they'd heard this message today. Share it with them. Say, there is hope for the hopeless. Here, here's what the scriptures say about it. Share it with them. They need this, don't they? Let them know about it. The reason for our hope is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I always end my Sunday morning lessons with an invitation to receive Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. If you believe he's the Son of God and you'll confess him as Lord and repent of your sins, be baptized into his name, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then out of that new hope and that new life, live faithfully unto him. Whatever decision you'd like to make in response to this invitation, I'm going to encourage you to make your way to the front to meet Ken McComsey, one of our elders, to talk to him as together we stand and sing this next song.